Hi, everybody. I'm back. Not grumpy anymore. Uh, so, <laughs> wasn't really grumpy before. Hey, um, let's just gauge the room a little bit here with a couple of questions. Hands up if you're feeling tired today. Whoa! That is like most of the room. Uh, anyone say, hands up if you had a busy week, if you think you had a busy week. Oh, okay. Again, most of the room. Has anyone ever been asked this question? Just two words, maybe the last couple of weeks. Have you been asked this question? You busy? You busy? Yeah? This is a question that often gets asked because, you know, um, our, our eldest daughter, Jasmine, she goes to Diamond Creek Primary just down the road, and when parents are hanging out, sort of doing drop-off or pick-up, uh, that is the most common question that people ask each other. You busy? And there's, a, there's an assumed knowledge behind the question, which is not that you would ever say, no, I'm not busy, actually, I'm quite relaxed. It's assumed that you are busy, and now you're going to have a whinge about it, and then they can whinge about it as well, and we can all say, yeah, how, how busy are we? It happens to me a lot, uh, that, that sort of discussion. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about busyness today, and we're going to talk about rest as well. Flows out of a series that we did last year in the lead-up to Christmas. We called it White Space Christmas. Now, the whole idea of white space comes from a design term, uh, referring to parts of a page, maybe a magazine page or a poster or a web page, where there's no printing, you know, there's no text, there's no pictures, it's just, if it's a white page, it is literally white space. And uh, the idea of the white space is to help you focus on the thing that's important. So you leave all this other space so that you'll focus on the thing that's important. Google is an excellent example of this, the Google search page. Have a look at it. Ignore our, our yellow border, um, but just look at that. It's very simple, there's a lot of white space, on there, and it's very clear what Google is about. You've got a search box and two buttons which both help, help you search, that's it. Excellent use of white space. Here's a bad use of white space or a non-use of white space on the Yahoo page. Uh, and you can see there, I mean, would you even know that you searched the internet on that page? There are so many words, so many buttons, so many pictures and things, so much trying to get our attention. That is a much less focused page than the Google page. And in the series, we said, well, as much as white space is great for design and helping you focus on what's important on the page, some white space in life to focus on the important things in life is also really valuable. And so we talked about that, and we talked about dealing with busyness, we talked about dealing with distraction, and how great it can be when you get on top of those things and you've got time for the things that are really important. It was a very positively received series. Lots of people loved it, had a great time with it. Lots of great conversations came out of it. Lots of people made changes in the way they live that were really helpful. And as we were talking about all this stuff, people kept remarking, do you know what? It's actually, this is not just important at Christmas. I mean, obviously, it's a busy period of the year. But actually, in our society, so many people are busy. As we saw there, probably 90% of you put your hand up when you felt that you were tired or busy. Um, and, and so, actually, we need to talk about this stuff other times of the year as well. So, welcome to our new teaching series, White Space in July. We're going to be looking at similar themes. It's not Christmassy. Baby Jesus will not be mentioned, but the teaching of adult Jesus will feature heavily. And we're going to look at how to keep things that are important, central in your life, how to be focused on those, and how to avoid getting caught up in distraction and busyness. That's what the series will be about. Today we're looking at the ancient Jewish and Christian tradition, Christian, 
Christian tradition of Sabbath keeping. And you might go, well, hang on, Sabbath, what is that? It's been mentioned a couple of times in the reading and the service so far. It's not exactly a lunchtime conversation at work or at school. What does Sabbath mean? Well, if you go to dictionary, it'll give you a decent basic definition. So it's a day of religious observance and abstinence from work. So they basically get that right in the dictionary. It is religious. It's religiously motivated. Its basis is in the Bible. And it's about not working. Uh, And people have practiced this every seven days for a very, very long time, Christians and Jewish people. Um, There's more to Sabbath than that. There's more depth to it and, and more history and more background to it, but that's a pretty good summary. So the instructions to rest every seventh day, of the, uh, you know, so once a week, is found in the Ten Commandments, the famous top ten list of commandments that God gave his people pretty early on in the Bible. And the Ten Commandments are listed twice, and in each time they give a different reason for this command to rest. So let's have a look at them. Exodus chapter 20, I'll be on the screen there, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, uh, you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female, female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. So you can see there, this is not just a command to individuals, it's a command to families and to communities. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, because God rested, which I think is just interesting in itself to think about God resting, but because God rested, so should we. And actually, Sabbath, resting once a week, helps us to be imitators of God himself. And this is actually a basic of being a Christian, is imitating Jesus, right? And actually, the New Testament writers will talk about that's the way we live, is to imitate Jesus. That's one of the core things of being a Christian. Now, we believe that Jesus was God in human form, and so that means that when you imitate Jesus, you're imitating God, and that means because God rested... We are imitating him when we rest. Hopefully you can follow that logic. We're being like God when we rest. That's the first reason given for Sabbath. The second reason is in Deuteronomy 5, where a different reason for the same commandment is given. It's not a competing reason. It's not like you've got to pick one or the other and choose who's the winner. They're both good reasons, uh, and they're both reasons for this commandment. Deuteronomy 5, 15 says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt... And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, you may or may not be familiar with the history of this. um, But basically, uh, God's people, the Jews, were living in slavery in Egypt for a long time. Now, when you're a slave, you don't get to choose when you rest. Okay, That's up to your master. In fact your master may decide that you never actually rest at all and you don't have a choice about it because you're a slave. So God's people were stuck in that situation for a long time. And then 
uh, through a bunch of miracles, he brought them out of slavery and into freedom so that they could be their own people. And it's only then that God gave them the Ten Commandments. He didn't give them to them when they're in slavery and they couldn't choose to do them. He gave it to them when they were free to choose to do these commands. And so Sabbath rest actually flows out of freedom. You receive this freedom and then you are able to rest. Um, and it wouldn't make sense to not rest once you had that freedom. Like that would sort of be like self-imposed slavery. You have the choice now. You can actually rest, but I'm not going to. I'm going to keep working as if I was still in slavery. doesn't actually make sense. So that's the second reason we rest on and do the Sabbath is so that we can experience God's freedom as much as we possibly can. Now, the Ten Commandments were written before Jesus. If we were to go to the book of Hebrews, which is written after Jesus, uh, we would find that the writer there delves into this idea of Sabbath rest even deeper and actually says, you know what, there's a type of rest for Christians that's coming in the next life. And that's where you'll have sort of permanent, ongoing rest. You know, at the moment, if you have a day off, you know you're going to have to work again. You know, like that's coming up. Uh, but in heaven, or in the new heavens and the new earth, rest is different. Like, rest is kind of a permanent state. And even if there is work, it, it's not going to tire us out, and it's not going to be sort of grueling like work can be these days. So it's this sort of you know, future eternal rest that we get to go into. Um, it's more than just physically resting your body. It's a spiritual thing. And that actually makes sense of something that Jesus said about himself in today's passage. Hopefully you've got it open in front of you. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus says, that The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so, what he's saying there is that, uh, well, Son of Man is Jesus' name for himself. And when you're the Lord of something, it means you're the boss, you're in charge. So by saying the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I, Jesus, am in charge of the Sabbath. I'm the boss of it. So he connects himself with Sabbath very directly, Jesus does. And that makes sense, right? Because he is God and because he is the ultimate bringer of freedom. So if you look at that, imitating God, experiencing freedom, uh, Jesus does both of those things. He is the ultimate expression of those things. If we think about why Jesus died and rose again, it's to set us free from the consequences of our own evil actions. Spiritual freedom is provided to us by Jesus. So the two reasons that the Bible gives to rest are summed up in who Jesus is and what he did. And that's why there's a third point on this list here, which is that the Sabbath is about focusing on Jesus. Jesus connects himself so much with those old commandments in, from the Ten Commandments that now when we rest as Christians, who, people who follow Jesus, we're to focus on Jesus as we do it. It's not just rest for the sake of rest. Does that make sense? So it's not just like oh, I'm having a break. It's actually we're resting so that we have enough white space in our life that we can focus on Jesus, who is God and who brings us freedom. You know, if you think about the Google page, like that's not a good web page because it's got blank space on it. It's a good web page because it gets you to focus on what it's all about, which is searching the internet. And a good Sabbath is great, not because you're not working, but because you get to focus on the most important thing, which is 
our relationship with Jesus. Okay, so there's a bit of a background for Sabbath and what it means and what the Bible teaches about it. What I want to do now in the second part of the talk is to talk about how we actually do Sabbath today. And I'm basically going to assume that pretty much everyone here is not doing it. Okay, now that may, maybe there may be a handful of people who are, but I'm going to assume that most people are definitely not doing it regularly, um, if at all. This is purely based on anecdotal evidence, as in, I've asked many of you if you do it, and you've said, no, I don't. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of anecdotal evidence, right? It's hard to come across people in our church, or actually Christians in Melbourne, who really do practice it. So I guess we'll be at a fairly beginner's level here. If you want to go more advanced with this sort of thing and really think about Sabbath a lot and get into a lot of detail, last, last year and this year, our church has been looking at the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Movement, basically a group of people who want to help Christians be emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy. And they talk a lot about Sabbath and how important it is. Um, so I'd recommend getting hold of their resources if you don't have them already. Um, there's a few books and we've got a few available in our office and to borrow and things like that. So um, use your Connect cards or have a chat with me afterwards and if you want to get your hand on some of those resources. They also have lots of stuff online, an excellent YouTube channel with a bunch of stuff about this. Anyway, um, let's think about Sabbath. First, we'll start with what not to do. And to do that, we turn to Jesus' old mates, the Pharisees. This group of people that if you read through the books about Jesus' life, Jesus seemed to annoy the Pharisees every other day. They didn't get along on a lot of issues, they disagreed a lot. So have a look at chapter 6, verse 1 here in Luke. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Okay, so here's what's going on here. The Pharisees were super strict about Sabbath. They wanted to follow God's commandment. Tick, we can agree with that. Good on them. But they'd made all these extra rules around Sabbath to help them keep it. And so they probably thought about what Jesus and his disciples were doing like this. They were plucking grain off the plant. That is technically reaping. Reaping is work, therefore they're breaking the law. Two, they were rubbing it in their hands, separating the edible bit from the inedible bit. That's technically threshing, which is work, therefore they're breaking the law. Third, they were throwing away the husk, the bit that you don't eat. Uh, that is technically winnowing, you might have to look that one up, uh, which is technically work, so they are breaking the law. Four, they were then eating the grain, which means they prepared a meal, which is work, therefore they broke the law. So because they're so pedantic and because they love rules so much, they could have found four ways that Jesus and his disciples were breaking the law simply by eating some grain as they walked through the field. These are the sort of guys who, like, I don't know if you've got friends like this, but if you send someone an SMS and you've got some bad grammar in it, they'll reply by correcting your grammar. You know, maybe they'd even go further than that. It's like if you send them a birthday card with a nice sort of message in it and they get a red pen out and like correct all the grammar and spelling and stuff and then send it back and go, can you do another version? Like they're really pedantic, you know, obsessed with the rules, obsessed with the details. Um, and Jesus is very critical of the way they approach the Sabbath. He's like, you guys have missed the point. All these rules are distracting you 
from the whole reason we do Sabbath in the first place, which is to imitate God and to experience his freedom. And let's be honest, there's not much white space going on when you have to remember a bajillion rules every Saturday. You know, that, to me, that seems stressful. So whilst we could admire their commitment to following God's command, at some point, the, the Pharisees just lost the plot and they've lost the whole purpose of Sabbath in the first place. Verse 9, Jesus summarizes it quite well. Well, he just says, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or do evil, to save life or to destroy it? It's not a complicated question. Unless you're a psychopath, you're going to answer, do good and save life, right? You know, it's a duh sort of question that Jesus, to make the point, it's like, you, you guys have lost it. Like, you, you're not actually doing good on the Sabbath anymore because these rules are just blocking it all out. So that's what not to do. But here's the thing. I don't think any of you have that issue with, when it comes to the Sabbath. You probably have, you know, probably a bunch of us have that issue, too many rules when it comes to some issues. But with Sabbath, I don't think that's a big issue at our church. In fact, we could probably do with going, you know, we're probably the other extreme and could do with adding a few rules into the way we do it. You know, rules for the sake of rules are not good. But rules do have an important place in life. Can you imagine sport without rules? I mean, sport doesn't even make sense without rules. It's, it doesn't hold weight as a concept. It has to have rules in order for it to work. Can you imagine, I know some of you are, are learning to drive at the moment. Can you imagine, you know, a city of four million plus people and no road rules? <laughs> like, not even stay to the left, just none. You know, like, it would, just driving would be so, so ridiculously dangerous, right? So rules do help us just practically get by in life. And so um, it's not wrong to have a few rules around the way you might do Sabbath, as long as they don't become the focus, and as long as they don't take our focus away from Jesus and just put it onto the rules. So what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do is to help us think very practically is to share about how our family does Sabbath We've been doing it every week for the last nine months, so we've had a bit of practice, learned a few lessons along the way. Um, I would say it's been the best decision we've made as a family since we had kids, like just a, as in the way our family operates. It's just been great, really, really good. So I thought I'd tell you about that, just as an example. Obviously, not everyone is at the same life stage as us and, you know, um, some of you have kids at home, little kids at home, some of you won't. Um, but just as an example, and then I'll finish with five general tips that everyone can sort of apply straight away. Okay, so Mackenzie Family Sabbath. Uh, with our kids, we call it rest day, because for kids, Sabbath is too complicated a word. So it's rest day. We do it on Saturdays. On rest day, we have two disciplines to help us focus on Jesus. The first one is that we start the day with a prayer. Um, we stand around, we hold hands and someone leads us in a prayer, usually Jasmine, who's five, um, and we thank God for rest day, and we thank God for Jesus, and we thank God for each other. And often we'll look at a little passage from the Bible, maybe one of the passages about Sabbath that we've looked at so far tonight. There's a few others in there as well that you can look at. And so we do that together. The second, um, that's at the start of the day. The second discipline we do after lunch. So Kira's only two, right? So she goes for a nap. And Jasmine has a little bit of quiet time in her um, room. And so while that's going on, 
Renee and I, as the two adults in the family, we just have a sit down and we chat about how our relationship with Jesus is going. You know, what have you been praying about? What have you been reading? Um, what's God been sort of leading you to think about this week? And then when Jasmine's finished her rest and she comes out, um, she usually has a question or two about God, something that she's been thinking about, and we discuss that question with her. If she doesn't have any questions that day, we get out the kids' Bible app on the phone, which you can download for free, and it's got like interactive Bible stories. So she goes off and does a couple of those, and then she comes back with questions about those stories. Um, and there are two disciplines. They're the two little things that we do to keep our focus on Jesus on our rest day. We have some other disciplines, and they're just about helping us have white space and resting properly. So there are some rules, and it's particularly around housework. Um, so we don't do any housework on Saturdays, except for like maybe you put your plate in the dishwasher or wipe up a spill. That's, like, that's the most we would do. So there's no ironing, there's no washing, there's no lawn mowing, there's no weeding, there's no sweeping. We don't tidy anything up unless somebody's in physically, physically endangered by this thing being in the way. And at the end of the day, that can mean that the house is a bit trashed, but we just say, well, we're going to clean it up tomorrow. Uh, there's no emails or computer work. Uh, we do minimal food preparation. You know, you might just like decorate cupcakes with the kids, something like that, but you try not to do lots of cooking for, for big meals and so on. And we try to limit our social calendar as much as we can so that we're not rushing around from thing to thing to thing. Do you experience that? You know, where you just feel like some, some Saturdays you just feel like you're moving from one thing to the next. You don't actually get to talk to anyone properly because you're like, hey, 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 good to see you, good to see you, off to the next thing now. So we try and limit that as best we can. Um, that's what we do. That's about it. It's pretty simple. I'm happy to chat to you about it afterwards and, uh, and see what you do or what you might try and put in place in your, in your house. Um, here's some general tips now. Just on a, we're, we're moving towards the end here. So just some general tips on doing Sabbath, five of them that I hope everyone can apply in one way or another. Um, these come from the Bible, they come from our experience doing Sabbath, and they come from that emotionally healthy spirituality stuff that I mentioned earlier. Tip number one. My understanding of the Bible leads me to believe that the day of the week doesn't matter. Okay, so Jews practiced it on Saturday historically because it was the, that was the last day of the week in the Jewish calendar. Christians move that to Sunday because they wanted to be different to, to show that they weren't exactly the same because we believed we believe in the New Testament as well uh, but also it's generally thought that Jesus rose on a Saturday came back to life on a Saturday so I oh, saw on a Sunday so um, do it on a Sunday um, Saturday and Sunday are both good days to do it uh, but really I think the way Jesus teaches about Sabbath is he takes the focus off the actual day of the week and on the purpose of it, which is, as I said, to imitate God, to experience his freedom, and to focus on Jesus. And I think if you're doing that on any particular day, great. Just, just pick a day that works for you. You know, we do Saturdays because school is on every weekday and I work on Sundays. So Saturday's the day we'll have no work or school, so that's when we do it. But if you have Wednesdays off, that would be a perfectly appropriate time to do Sabbath. Uh, in your life. So that's the, first one, that's the first tip. Day of the week doesn't matter. Second tip is that unpaid work is still work. This is really important 
and really biblical. For most of human history, the idea of shifts of nine to five workday simply didn't exist. Work was work whether you were getting paid for it or not. And um, every mention of work in the Bible is based on that understanding of work. It's not just what you get paid for, it's any actual sort of work, you know, like thing, work. It's any work that you do. So that means for us that dishes and cleaning and shopping and repainting the deck and repainting someone else's deck to do them a favor, that's work. If you're unemployed and you're job, job hunting, there's still work you need to do in the job hunt, right? You've got to be working on your resume, letters, interviews, calls, all that sort of stuff. That is work. Yeah, you're not getting paid for it yet because you haven't got, got the job, but it's still work, still counts. Students or parents of students, homework is definitely work. You're not allowed to put it in a separate category because you're learning something while you do it. It is definitely to be categorized as work. We shouldn't be just giving ourselves exemptions on these sort of things. It's just being dishonest with ourselves if we do that. Um, so that's the second tip. Unpaid work is still work. Tip number three, make technology your friend. There's some, re some research that came out of the UK recently by a group called DirectLine, and they found that on average, people check their devices uh, an astonishing 253 times a day. That's, so people are reaching for their phones approximately once every four minutes. And when I first heard that, I thought, come on. That's so often, like as if we're doing that. But then I sort of was aware of it for the next few days for myself. I was like, I don't think I'm doing it every four minutes, but maybe every six. And like, I've been watching some of you <laughs> just during my talk, and you've definitely reached for it every four minutes, right? So, and it's not necessarily for bad reasons. Like you might be reaching for it for good reasons, but technology is dominant in our lives at the moment. And it's not just not just phones, it can be TV and you know, it can be computers and all sorts of other technology. So what you want to do is stop it being your enemy and stop it feeding you all these distractions and help it to be your friend. One thing you can do is like there's these free app blockers that you can get. So I've installed one of those and I can't access email or social networking apps on Saturdays. It just blocks it. And in an emergency, there's a way around it but you won't accidentally just pull your phone out and sort of start checking work email on your rest day. You can't do it. It'll pop up and say, hey, remember, you don't want to use that app today. Um, very useful. You, and, and those apps are, are, are widely available, at least on Android. I assume there'd be an iPhone equivalent as well. Um, you can also use these helpful reminders and so on to help you prepare for your rest. So on Friday afternoon, I get a little ding on my phone reminding me to do some housework before we rest the next day so that on Saturdays I'm not looking at all the jobs that need to be done and, you know, them going, dishes sort of going, clean me, clean me. Like, you know, you can just put all that to a side. And technology can be really useful in reminding you to be ready to rest properly. So make, stop it being your enemy, help it be your friend. Tip number four, when you do good things on your rest day, do your best to make sure that they are restful things. Now, sometimes a good thing is not going to be restful. So, if somebody is drowning and you have the opportunity to save them, you should do it. Okay? Don't, don't worry that it's, it's not going to be relaxing. It's not going to be a really restful experience for you, but it's a good thing to do to help someone who's drowning. It is really bad if you don't help them and then say, oh, 
it was just going to be too strenuous. I felt like it would be too much like work. And so I'm on my rest day, so I'm not going to you know, save that person's life. That's not a good thing to do. It's not going to go down well. Um, and Jesus said, you need to do good on the Sabbath. But let's be honest, right? Most of the good things that we get to do in life um, are voluntary and they're not, you know, they can easily be restful when we choose what to do. Um, let me give you an example of how this works. Knowing, knowing yourself and how you operate and your personality and how you rest and how you re-energize is really helpful here. I'll give you an example. At the end of Camp Crave, our youth camp, which we held a couple months back, the leaders were sitting around late on Sunday night debriefing the camp. And we'd had a, we'd had a great weekend. We'd all worked very hard. Um, been a great camp. And people were tired. And... As we were finishing off this little debrief, you could see the group sort of separate into two types of personalities. There were the people who, even though they were physically tired, were extroverts, and so were just really energised by the fact that they'd got to spend the entire weekend in the presence of heaps of people, and that even in this meeting, they were still with more people. And so there were suggestions that maybe we should celebrate, maybe we should go to Macca's and get ice cream, or just, you know, go to someone's house and hang out you know, and celebrate what's happened. And then there's another group of people who are like, that sounds like the worst possible idea ever. That I just need to go into like a quiet room by myself <laughs> and sort of decompress from all this pressure, you know, this social pressure that I've been under. Now, not, I'm not saying either group of, of people is, is right or wrong or good or bad. I'm probably more of the introvert. Like I know I, I, I can very happily be extroverted and, and hang out with people. But when I need to re-energize, I like to be if not by myself, then with just a couple of people who are very relaxing people to be around, who are not going to try and get me to do things all the time, but just happy to sit around and just sort of be in each other's company. But other people I know are energised by being with people and doing activities and stuff. So working out what sort of a person you are and how you re-energise is very helpful. Um, and uh, uh, even to the... I know a lot, a lot of people here are, are gamers, right? Play plenty of video games. Um, now... There are certain... I love video games. There are certain genres of video game that I would not play on the Sabbath day. Anything that's, like, really competitive or stressful, I'm just going to put that stuff down. I enjoy that sort of thing, but actually, it, it just get It doesn't actually re-energise me. Or, like, it's, you know, it's, it's fun, but it's kind of stressful at the same time. And, you know, I know some people, when they play games, they sort of, like, yell at the screen and get all fired up and so on. It's like, well... That can be fine, but probably if you're hurling abuse at the computer because you know, things aren't going your way, it's probably not a restful experience. Try something else a bit more slow-paced, a role-playing game or you know, a gentle puzzle game or something like that. Anyway, there's an example. You can, you can hopefully get the idea. Um, try and do good things that are actually restful. Tip number five is just do it. Uh, if you're waiting for the perfect time to start doing Sabbath in your life, You'll be waiting a long time, probably your entire life. You're just not going to find a week where it all just falls into place perfectly and you can finally get around to it. You actually have to carve out the time. You have to be committed to it. You have to actually make it happen. Um, the busyness of our society just means there's going to be so much pressure on you not to rest that you actually need to make an intentional decision to do it. Um, if 24 hours seems just too full on like for you at the moment... Start smaller and work your way up. Start with 12 hours you know, and, and work up to 24 would be my recommendation. But basically, you've just got to start doing it. So there's my tips.
The benefits of Sabbath have been significant in my life and in the life of our family. I'm really grateful that it's in the Bible. Hopefully you've picked up I'm really positive about it generally. Um, it, it has improved my relationship with my wife and with my kids. I think I'm better at just spending time with people without worrying about the next job to do. Um, I manage my headspace between the office and home and social stuff really well now. I just seem to be able to just focus on things when I'm there and then leave them behind when I'm not there and I'm in a different space. I'm more thankful to God. I just have more time to be thankful for the many good things that we have in life. I'd even say that the Bible makes more sense to me now. I don't read the Bible more on Sabbath than other days, but I don't know, there's something about just imitating God and experiencing his freedom that means the Bible is just, I just get it more now. And my relationship with God is, is stronger because of it. Overall, just more relaxed and happy as a person because we've been practicing it. So hopefully you've really picked up a positive encouragement there to do it in your own life. I am aware that certain personalities like to respond to warnings and challenges more than they like to respond to positive encouragement. So I thought I'd just throw, this, throw a warning in just at the end just for those people who need that sort of thing. Um, I, th I think, I, I think you, can, you can make a case to say that if you're not resting, and if you're not carving out enough white space in your life so that you can focus on Jesus, then you're actually being disobedient to God. And for a Christian, that's a problem. <laughs> Obedience to God is important. And scientific research actually backs up this thought. Actually, all the research now, because there's a lot of research going on about busyness in our, in our first world societies anyway, it's actually saying that if you don't learn to rest well, that it's going to damage your mental health and it's going to damage your relationships. And that actually it's tearing apart marriages and it fractures friendships and workplaces and that sort of thing. So just if you need the warning, there's the warning. I think there's lots of positive reasons you don't actually need the warning, just positives are enough. But if you need the warning, I think it's there and it's pretty clear both in the Bible and in just what's going on in our society at the moment. We can all do with more white space in our lives. Um, and in the Bible, we've just got this brilliant concept of the Sabbath to help us do it. So I urge you to take it on. I urge you to get focused on Jesus, to imitate God, and to enjoy his freedom. Ben, do you want to come back up? I think Ben's up next. Is that right? Um, while I come up, I might pray for us. Father God, um, we're sorry for the times we've let work become more important than it is. Work is important, Lord, but it's not everything. Uh, we don't get our, well, we shouldn't get our identity from it, um, and it can actually take over in unhealthy ways. So we're sorry for the times we've let that happen. We're sorry for the times we have rested badly, perhaps tricking ourselves into thinking we're resting when we haven't, when we're not actually doing it. Please could you set us free from things like addiction that stops us from resting well, from distraction and from busyness. Help us to make those changes in our life that's going to lead us into a better relationship with you and with other people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.